The Insurance Coffee House is hosted by Insurance Search. Insurance Search provides executive recruitment services to insurance companies, brokers, and insurtechs in the UK and across the United States, attracting and retaining the most successful leaders to your insurance business. To find out more, visit insurance-search.com. The Insurance Coffee House, the place where you get to meet and be inspired by the most successful insurance business leaders from across the world. Hosted by Nick Hoadley, CEO of Insurance Search. Welcome to the Insurance Coffee House. Today, I'm really happy to be joined by Elisa Miller. Elisa is the Chief Human Resources Officer at IAT Insurance Group. IAT are a specialty carrier headquartered in Raleigh, North Carolina. And it's a pleasure to have Elisa join us on the line today. Welcome to the show, Elisa. Well, thank you very much, Nick. I'm really happy to be here. And uh, thanks for the warm introduction on IAT. We're definitely a property casualty insurance and surety service company. Really looking forward to hearing all about the great work that you're doing there at IAT. Before we get into that, though, as we're in the insurance coffee house today, what is your go-to coffee of choice this morning, Elisa? This is my formula every morning. I have two cups of coffee, and you might say I have a little coffee with my cream and Splenda or sugar. It's a two-cup day every day, unless it's going to be a longer day than normal, then it could be three cups. Yeah, it'd be great to hear about IAT. But before we do that, would you mind sharing with our listeners a bit about your personal career background and your journey and how you've ended in the role that you enjoy there now as the Chief Human Resources Officer? It was a kind of a convoluted way to land in insurance, not so much human resources. My uh, college education is managerial psychology. My first position out of school was working for a tobacco company in sensory research. And I quickly was supervising people and realized I really liked this part of the job, the performance management, coaching, guiding, directing, and felt like it would be a great segue to move into the human resources industry. So early in my career, I started working in human resources as a recruiter, realized that recruiting wasn't for me. It is for some people, and a lot of people do it really well. That just was not my forte. I moved then into human resources business partner work, and that was in the banking and mortgage industries. Then decided uh, to continue to grow my career, and I moved into a technology uh, company and started managing people in the Raleigh area. I've been in the Raleigh area over 25 years and decided then to move into medical research and moved into another company. And while I was working there, I was managing the largest group, supported our researchers in terms of HR, and had the opportunity through a search firm, reached out to me um, about the opportunity here at IAT Insurance, and they had the opening for a chief human resources officer. So throughout my career, I had done a little bit of everything. The latter part of my career before moving here was more of a uh, manager of generalist and employee relations. So the opportunity to lead the entire department was appealing, and it has been very rewarding, challenging, and a lot of hard work, but it's been well worth it. I've been here eight years. In that eight years, how have you found the insurance industry as a whole compared to some of those previous sectors that you've worked in? How does it compare? That's a really easy answer. All those industries are different. 
different workforces, different motivations for those workforces. But I have to say the insurance industry is the most complex I've ever worked in. And as I've mentioned, I've worked in quite a few. It is the most rewarding because, again, ultimately, we are here to help people. From a personal career vantage point, it's been the most challenging because I really work with a lot of strong business-minded people, people with a strong business acumen. I don't think that's just IAT. I think the insurance industry in general has that kind of workforce. So it's offered a lot of interesting challenges, which, again, have resulted in a lot of rewarding experiences because of that. That's really interesting you say that. I think sometimes in the industry, we sort of take that entrepreneurial mindset that a lot of leaders within our industry have. We take that for granted and actually compared to a lot of industries. And you'd think that some of those previous industries that you've been involved in, you know, highly complex environments, but actually insurance and, and the people side of insurance can be very complex. There's a lot of different things to navigate as part of that, not least from a compliance perspective but also just in the very nature of the work that we do. Elisa, would you be able to give our listeners an overview of IAT, where the business is at the moment, maybe some of the markets that you're operating, what what you specialize in there as a business? The company's been in business for about 25 years. We had a lot of different business lines, maybe 12, 13 business lines. And about, I would say 10 years ago, the company brought on a new CEO. His role and his focus at the time was to bring the organization together and operate as one. So our first big opportunity was operating like one company versus a lot of multiple individual companies and operating in a very siloed way. I joined about a year after he did, and I worked closely with the CEO. He set the stage that we're going to have a management team, a leadership team that's going to work together to drive the business forward and rebuild our internal brand as one organization and then start working on the external brand. We uh, focus in specialty insurance products and partner with agents and brokers. So we've got lines of business like management liability. Um, We are a big surety carrier. We have uh, commercial transportation, inland marine, aviation, a lot of that what you consider the specialty lines of business that make us pretty unique, again, with unique opportunities. In terms of the geographic spread, are most people based there in Raleigh or are they based across the country? We're very spread out. We are only in the U.S., but we have close to 30 offices. Probably seven to 10 of those have more than 50 people. Our largest organization or office, I should say, is here in the Raleigh location. But we have a big presence in Illinois, in Connecticut, Scottsdale. Florida is growing very rapidly. Atlanta. Then we have a few locations on the West Coast in California and in Seattle. A lot of our uh, other offices are smaller and more in the Midwest towards the East Coast. We have just under a thousand employees. And I know an area that's very important to you is employee engagement. And that's, you know, really key focus and initiative as part of your role there as the CHRO of the business. How did that originally come about? The CEO coming in 10 years ago, lots of different businesses, lots of different silos. Was it about bringing those businesses together that you've really sort of seen it as a big opportunity to bring the employees together and to engage with those employees further? Absolutely. We realized that the workforce wasn't very engaged. Again, 
mm-hmm. siloed organizations refer to themselves as this company or this type of underwriting paper or whatever made them different. And our goal was to become one company. We knew we'd be stronger, better, uh, just a lot of benefits from that. Plus, making sure employees understood the culture we were trying to create here. And that was one of engagement. You do that sometimes through accountability. Back then, employees, there wasn't always a lot of accountability, not a lot of feedback, not a lot of information provided about performance and career paths. The opportunities that we have here, again, operating as one company was going to afford more movement across the company for employees to grow. So that was really the trigger is um, there are so many benefits from having engaged employees. So in order to start a baseline of where we were, first of all, we put performance reviews in place. We, We weren't even measuring performance in a consistent way, but we also didn't have a way to really hear back from the employee base, you know, what's working for them, what's not. What keeps them engaged? What do they need? You know, what are they getting too little of, too much of? So we started conducting very small surveys annually. It was a seven-question survey just to monitor the pulse of the organization. We did that for two, three years, used a basic survey, did things with the information. We put actions in place. Employees wanted to um, have more opportunity to interact with their managers, wanted to know more about where the company is going, more communication around the direction. So we made sure that we had quarterly webcasts for employees. We charged each manager to meet with every employee at least once a week. We put in performance goals for managers. There were very specific goals asking the manager to engage their employees in meetings, reaching out to those employees that maybe don't speak up. Not everybody is an extrovert or enjoys being part of that, but you need to pull that out of people. So we have two to three goals that we put in place, I'd say four or five years ago, that we measure our managers on to see what they're doing to actually make their employees feel engaged. And that's worked very, very well. Those survey results increased year over year. And then about five years ago, we decided we need more data. That's one thing we do like here at IAT. It's great and sometimes not so great. It's getting a lot of data because when you get a lot of data, you have a lot to do with it. Um, but it served us well. We we started surveying our organization through the Great Places to Work survey, the Fortune survey. And that survey will provide you with about any kind of cut of data demographic that you can think of. So you can really drill down where there might be areas of problems, whether it's a particular business unit, a particular region, particular demographic of the workforce in some way. And we've been very diligent about taking the information, sharing it back with the organization. That's key with employees. They want information. That's really helped us with our engagement. And then every year we develop action items, what we need to do or at the business unit level needs to do to help the employees have a better, more effective work experience. It sounds like it's been a very deliberate process, but also a very detailed process as well, starting off with the management and encouraging the management to have more engagement with their team members to have those regular meetings. It sounds like you're constantly then surveying the workforce to get their feedback on how things are going and you're then measuring those outcomes and results. What those results been across that period? How much more engaged do you find the workforce to be from when you well, started? The scores have gone up significantly in the five years. So that's our best measure. And I have to say this last survey 
there were not a lot of constructive actions or requests from the survey. So not to brag, we always have work to do, but it was the most positive survey we've had to date. And we've had to wrestle like all the other companies have with COVID, getting people back in the office, not getting them back in the office. What kind of schedule should we have? So in a year or two years after we went through that process of having all of our employees work from home, we were able to make that happen. And uh, then bringing them back, I guess, probably two years ago, could have been almost three, to a hybrid work schedule, meaning Monday through Wednesday, employees are required to work in the office. And then Thursdays and Fridays, they have the option of working remotely. So coming off something that's kind of controversial like that, we, we feel really proud of the fact that I think we found the right balance for employees we have here today are motivated by that schedule. I'm sure there are a few that would prefer to work 100% remotely, but that's just not what we can accommodate today. But I think just watching your scores time year over year is your best indicator. And I think we went up three to four points even over last year. We've been in the low 90s in terms of the overall statement that gives you a good measure if employees are engaged or not. And we went up two or three points even this past year. There's an old adage in business that what gets measured gets done by putting in those processes and putting in those measurements. And then you can really start to see how the business is improving, identify any areas for improvement and for sure, continually working on a gradual process, which means to a better and much more engaged workforce. And, you know, that has two benefits, really. First of all, reduces that churn rate. So you've got a lot better engaged team of employees, workforce employees who are happy in the working environment. Also means it's then a lot easier to attract high-performing employees into the organization as well to grow the business organically as you do seek to grow. Brings us nicely onto the espresso round now, Elisa, where the questions are short, sharp, and to the point. So I know you, you normally like only two cups of coffee a day. Are you ready for the espresso round now? I am. The espresso round. Elisa, what one recommendation do you have for candidates, for senior executives who are coming in to interview their Well, I think for IAT, it's very critical that the leaders who come into the organization and the current ones are authentic. We want people to come and be their whole selves, but we also want people who will embrace our values. And we really walk the talk. I usually don't get that phrase right, but I think I did. Modeled by our CEO, but we hold each other accountable too. We don't have the meeting after the meeting, so to speak. So it's very transparent organization. We're very much feedback forward and we do that to help each other out. So you need, if you're coming into this organization, you need to embrace all that. Some people come in at a certain level. I don't think you're used to getting feedback. We still get feedback here up, down and around, but it makes us better leaders. It makes us more real employees. It's a great opportunity for them to give feedback, have the opportunity to even give feedback. We do 360s. We're going through that right now for the whole organization for all managers. So managers are getting a lot of feedback from every direction and they're not afraid of it. A lot of people not big on getting feedback, but we've created a culture of feedback and communication. That transparency seems to be really, really strong. Across your career, you would have sat in a lot of interviews, I'm sure, as a HR leader, not just in the insurance industry, but in other industries as well. Do you have one particularly memorable moment that sticks out to you across that time in terms of 
an interview that I've went well or didn't go so well or particularly memorable for you? The interview that I would say that went most well was probably the interview that I had for this job. It was about a three or four different round interview, but there were a lot of great questions that were really getting at what I've done, how I've done it, my philosophy, my experience with certain situations, people. So sometimes when if you're not careful when you're doing the interviewing, you'll do the talking. They made me do the talking, the applicant. I would say that was probably my best interview and it's paid off very well. And have you ever experienced anything from the other side of the table when you've been interviewing candidates? Had there been anything, particularly memorable moments or anything that stood out from when you've been interviewing from the other side? I have a funny story. I was walking an applicant to my office to sit down. He went to my side of the desk and sat in my chair. Never forget that. I didn't say anything. I sat on the other side of the desk. I think he was so nervous. He was not oriented to the office at all. I just let him go through that. I would say the way we like to interview and get as much information as we possibly can. I like going through a panel interview and have multiple people participate and have individuals. We kind of focus on a particular area of information that we want to glean from the candidate and take turns in a panel way and then kind of build off of each other or work with each other to dig further and get as much information we can in the most effective way. So that has been my most successful way of interviewing. It's not a specific example. When I've had successful interviews, it's usually that approach. There'll be a lot of HR executives within the insurance industry listening to this podcast. Finding talent, bringing in talent to the organization is such a crucial part of the role and a crucial part of the company's success. What would be your piece of advice that you'd give to other HR executives in the industry looking at best practice for hiring talent? I think you've got to really cast wide nets. That's kind of cliche. Everybody says that, but we do it intentionally. So when we're looking for interns, early career folks, we're not only looking at schools in the local area, which we want to hire, but we're looking at schools that are represented by a majority of underrepresented people because we want to start with diverse candidate pools right out of the gate. And it's pretty easy to do that when you're recruiting for interns and uh, early career because you can work through colleges and you know kind of what the demographics are. So we want to ensure we've got very diverse candidate pools and then the process plays out to the most qualified candidate. That is an example of how intentional we are. And you have to take your time. If you're going to have an inclusive workforce and a diverse workforce, you've got to let the process have some time. So not open a position and then you're closing it in a week. Give people time to get into that candidate pool, applicant pool, and give the staff time to actually work through a thorough interview process. Sometimes people have their networking, they have people in mind, not necessarily bad, but leave enough time for you to have a very full candidate pool from which to manage the interview process and get the most qualified hire. So to me, it's taking your time. And the insurance industry is very networked. That's how you're going to have the best results is give the process time to to go through the process. Absolutely agree with that. I think that's so important for the businesses and clients that we work with. You know, the larger the talent pool, the better. It then means that that interview process, that screening process can be a lot more measured. It can give you a lot more options and you can end up with much higher quality person that you recruit. If you keep it too narrow and people drop off the list for various different reasons, all of a sudden you're left in a difficult situation. 
I think that's sometimes where those bad hires happen. So I would 100% agree with that. What is the most important thing to you when selecting an external recruitment partner, selecting an agency, a headhunter, a search firm to partner with you on a search? What's the most important thing when considering that? It's important that that uh, partner is well-networked and that they've got a strong track record of bringing in quality, experienced insurance individuals. Um, They need to be extremely good communicators so that we stay aligned, but also that they do a good job representing us, understanding our philosophy, what's important to us, what our values are. Because as you know, that can be a tricky business starting. It's a lot of work involved, a lot of money involved up front. And then to get through the process and not be aligned and not get the quality or candidates with the right background. It's a big waste of time. So it's very important to us that they understand our philosophy, what we need, what we want. A lot of communication going back and forth along the way. We like to have regular recurring meetings to debrief where we are with candidates and understand, you know, what maybe why somebody didn't work out or somebody is or brainstorm, you know, maybe there's a different skill set that's transferable. So to me, it's just strong communication, proactive communication to keep us all aligned and on track and to get through the process as effectively as possible. Yeah, it certainly sounds like a true partnership that you're looking for. Elisa, final question in the espresso round. Is there a piece of tech or a tool that you're using there for talent acquisition that you're finding helps the hiring process at the moment? Do you have maybe an ATS system or some piece of technology that's helping bring in that talent? I would not say it's technology. We are looking at some internal technology tools. Actually, right now, we're actually doing some assessment today on some things that would make our job easier. We don't really have anything that helps us with the attraction other than the recruiting team themselves. And they're very, very dedicated people. And like I said, recruiting was not my forte. They like to hunt. They like to source. So I have to give them all the credit of really doing some proactive outreach through LinkedIn or various websites or places where we can find candidates, even Handshake. That's entry level, but that's been very helpful. Our best efforts are our people representing us well and doing the outreach. There isn't something available today, staying in touch with those people, inviting them to apply at another time. But right now we're still more in the um, on the people side of managing it. If we had some technology tools that would help us a little more, then we'd certainly be open to that. But we are exploring some opportunities in that area right now, actually. And that's great to hear. Insurance is certainly a people business. The best technology that we have is those interactions, those networks, those relationships, and the ability to communicate, like you said earlier, like the message about the mission, the value proposition that you have there. And I think the best people to convey that are certainly people rather than technology. Great to hear. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us in the Insurance Coffee House today. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. Before you leave, do you have one piece of closing advice for our listeners? And if there's anyone out there listening at the moment who's maybe considering an opportunity at IAT, what would be your advice to them? Well, I would check out our website. We are really a unique organization. I'm sure a lot of people say that about their companies, but if you just do a little research on us, check out our CEO, check out the website, see where we've been, what we're up to. I think you'll see that this is a workplace that is very special. People feel valued. They feel heard. 
and we've got the results to back that up. Elisa, thank you for your time today. It's been a real pleasure to have you on the show. Really interesting to hear your story, but also that really engaged workforce, that really engaged team of employees that you have there across the business. It's been really great learning curve. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much, Nick. Really enjoyed it. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the Insurance Coffee House with Nick Hoadley. Join us next time for another episode packed with insights and advice for senior leaders, C-suite executives, and ambitious insurance professionals. Stream all episodes at insurance-search.com.